whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report, and this is the International Vaccine Report. I'm Dr. Lee for America from the U.S., and we have Dr. Mike Eden from the U.K., Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe from Sweden, and our intrepid investigative reporter and businessman from Croatia, Andrea Klarich. Our goal today is to update you on all of the developments that continue to spew forth from the cabal and cartel meeting in Davos, Switzerland, to micromanage every aspect of our lives and brag to us how they are going to take our freedom, take our food, take our fuel, and pollute the air and the environment so that they can have their net zero and kill off humanity and all life on the planet. What a great agenda to start off the new year. And they brag about it with this evil gleam in their eye. All you got to do is watch the body language on Bill Gates. And it's like he relishes, he loves, he gets off on being in control of all of us and lording his control over us. It's truly an evil picture. And people are rising up. People are saying, no, look at the German farmers. Look at the way in which Poland and France and Luxembourg and Belgium and other countries, Holland, have come together in support of the German farmers, French and German farmers unloading dump trucks and bulldozer loads of manure on government buildings and politicians' homes. They deserve every bit of it. And the farmers have had enough. So I would ask all of you listening, when have you had enough and when are you going to start speaking out in your community? We have lots of examples of people across America and around the world speaking out at school board meetings, at city council and county board of supervisors and holding their sheriff accountable for enforcing the law, not politics. It's going to take a we the people combined resistance. Now, one of the reasons that the censorship is becoming such a big theme and was discussed so much at Davos and so many new draconian plans to shut everyone else up except for those that the cartel and the government elites are approving to speak and what is shared. The reason that censorship is becoming 
increasingly tightened is that we were winning the war of words. And they know that they cannot continue to enforce such controls if they control what is said in the public sphere. So I wanted to ask Andrea Claridge, who is an independent journalist and really understands from having lived in a communist country until the fight for independence for Croatia and now in independent journalism, it's a really good understanding for the role of censorship to control the public and the role of propaganda and deception and disinformation. And Andrea is watching what's happening in Europe with the new European act to control what is allowed in the media. Now, of course, it has a name that implies the opposite. Andrea, tell us about what's going on in Europe on the censorship front. Hello, Dr. Lee. Hello to all your listeners. It's really a pleasure to be here again. Uh, well, we saw what happened in Davos last week, and uh, they are trying to send a message that we need to rebuild a trust. And also that the main focus, and that was words from Sider Ursula on the line, that the main focus should be on a fight against misinformation. And uh, we understand what happened last four years and what they consider to be misinformation. We know now that this misinformation exactly was their propaganda. And without this propaganda, for sure, none of this would happen ever. And people were, uh, would never recognize there was any kind of pandemic. And they had the control over all medias and they had orchestrated pro propaganda from the side. And we know now this, uh, these uh, unions, for example, this uh, uh, organization who were running uh, mainstream media, exactly legacy media, all of them were sending same messages all the time. But also after four years, we now see that they lost that war because they now see again there's this misinformation, what they call it, and for sure they will be arbitrary of truth. This misinformation is something that is bothering them a lot. That means we alternative medias and people, citizen journalists, it's the best way to say it. Uh, we won and we succeed to send our messages out. And this message for sure that now more people knows what was happening real and that there was no really pandemic as they was telling us about. There is no really success in these policies, COVID policies. Uh, and I recognize already that Ursula is showing, and not only her, and whole her administration is showing lots of characteristics from the side of totalitarian countries. And they are very angry about free speech. And that's why last year they brought a new law. It's called European Media Freedom Act. And there's everything except Freedom Act, Media Freedom Act. Uh, this new act is uh, offer us a new, they call it independent board, media board, 
and these people are can decide it and that uh, some information can be danger for public interest or to uh, national security and they can stop uh, this media or uh, this journalist to publish this information for example we know all of us knows that our contract with Pfizer in Europe was uh, confidential and that Ursula von der Leyen was uh, discussing with Borla through SMS messages. And one inside the whistleblower public these messages. And that's why we found out that was hap that, that happened. Now, just last week, again, uh, they continue to keep this uh, contract uh, confidential uh, in the parliament. And that means still there's a contract of $17 billion and that we don't know details about it. And we paid lots of billions. And just this year, last number was that we throw away 4 billion euros of vaccines. And we cannot find what are details of this contract. And now also are publicly saying they need to fight against um, misinformation at the same time they want to rebuild the trust these two things are not coming together you cannot build the trust without transparency i see that they are confirmed they lost the trust they lost the trust you know because they are in the power and now they want to regain it with force with this new law we know from the start that they were doing censorship but that was against the law now future censure will be according to the law. And well, Andrea, to make a critical point for everyone to focus on, trust by force is called coercion to submit people, to force people into submission and compliance. So everything that they talk about in Davos in all of these speeches are words that are chosen to mean the opposite of what they intend. The Europe Media Freedom Act is properly the Europe Media Censorship Act. Trust is force. Obedience is compliance and submission. So it's not obey the law, it's not obey the rules, it's be forced into submission, battering people and threaten them with punishment. I mean, that is truly what you've just described in a nutshell for people over here in America who are not facing this immediate act that you just described in Europe, but we've had censorship here too it's just a little more subtle yes you had it in the united states especially on social media and, and you had also there was an admission uh, in, in front of i think congress uh this uh, lady who was in charge in twitter she admitted that she was in coordination with the white house about smearing and censorship some of the scientists who were against these uh, measures and about uh, against vaccines. And they admit it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. We know that. 
Well, and it was obvious they were doing that. And then they finally had to admit, I think actually it was whistleblowers who released information that showed that they knew it. So she had to admit it. I don't think she did it out of the goodness of her heart or trying to tell the truth for a change. But anyway, Dr. Yeadon and Dr. Gilthorpe, what are you seeing in the UK and Sweden on the censorship front? Well, uh, it, in Britain, yeah, they've introduced a law which, uh, if they enact it, will make the category that Andrea talked about illegal, which is this um, misinformation, disinformation, whatever. There's one category which, which means um, truthful, but uh, not what the government wants you to say. Essentially, it's like um, truth, uh, lawful but awful is what they've called it. But yeah, there, there are laws that means that I could say something true and I could prove it and I could be arrested for it, which is really rather frightening. But you know what? It will make no difference to me. If they want to create publicity by arresting people for saying true things, then so be it. That's my view. But yeah, it is kind of utterly dystopian. It, well, absolutely. And I, I think the more that they take such draconian measures and arrest innocent people for speaking the truth, I think that the more that's going to wake up others, actually. I think it's backfiring on them. Dr. Ilthorpe, so. your thoughts? Yes, Dr. Lee. Um, well, I mean, Sweden is unusual. Well, the thing about the European Union is, we, you know, there are European laws um, which operate at the higher level, but there are also national laws which are, are often grounded in sort of common law or very basic laws. And Sweden has those and one of them is the right to free speech. So this is something called the Grundlag or ground law. And because of these ground laws that more or less everyone in Sweden is aware of, uh, that was one of the reasons they we weren't able to lock down in the way that other countries did during the COVID-19 um, pandemic or pandemic, as, as we tend to refer to it. Um, so I think they're going to have a serious problem when they come up again, you know, trying to... Van, Van der Leyen and those people in the EU Commission are, are totally corrupt. They're, they're trying to force through their own particular uh, form of draconian regulations, I think, as they see the risk of the European Union fragmenting uh, before their eyes. But when they start to bring through these things at the level of individual countries, they're going to have a problem because people will start to kick back, I think. Um but what Sweden did somewhat sneakily after the lockdown or after COVID, they brought in a law which made it illegal for anyone to criticize an external party from another country that would damage the, the reputation of Sweden. So basically, if that com you know, company or entity is doing business with Sweden, and if you then criticize it uh, in a way that would make the relationship with the government undermine it then that is an offense and you can go to prison for that which was quite remarkable i, I think they oh my no one, heavens that's no one that's really terrible yeah and no one really understands it um as, as far as i know even when i've spoken to lawyers i think they brought it in as a kind of thinner edge of a wedge a uh, thin end of a wedge to try to later in a year or so let's say try to bring in other rules or laws that will, will prevent free speech. But at the moment, we are pretty entitled to say whatever we want. I mean, as long as you don't 
say something racist or criticize somebody's religion uh, or their gender that's not allowed but you as long as apart from that within the realms of that you can say pretty much anything and that's why we've had these Quran burning uh, situations happen in Sweden which is a Danish guy that comes into Sweden to burn the Quran um, so yeah but I think when when Europe tries to challenge that they're going to have a fight on their hands because people won't accept that it, you know it's ingrained into Sweden for for many decades if not centuries and and people know that this is one of the great things that Sweden has a right to so um freedom to wander wherever you want freedom to say whatever you want that used to be the spirit in america and i've seen some alarming changes in that over the especially the last four years with such in really alarming persecution for people who are speaking the truth or simply expressing an opinion, which they have every right to do, and shut down on social media, shut down in public meetings, prevented from speaking in churches. I mean, it's schools, universities, professors being fired for presenting a point of view that diverges from what the administration wants. People in the military forced out. It's happening in in every one of our institutions. Yeah, but I guess your states don't necessarily have specific laws that protect free speech. Um, well, most of them case. do in the state constitution. Okay. In addition to the U.S. Constitution. Hmm. But that doesn't mean they're being in, the laws are being enforced. I mean, we have... Hmm the First Amendment and and the Second Amendment, but both of those have been abridged with federal and state rules that directly violate federal law and and the Constitution. Yeah. I mean, I I really look forward to Davos now every January uh, because it's getting more and more like an episode of The Hunger Games, you know, this film, which I think was released when it was to to impart some deal of neurolinguistic programming on on that age group that watched it, and I was one of them. But you know, you see these elites that fly in in their private jets from all over the world. Um, they shut down the Swiss airspace around Davos for the World Economic Forum using the Swiss Air Force, and they put the Swiss military on the streets to protect these elites that fly in with their private jets, whilst telling us we can't travel anymore because of the impact of carbon dioxide on global warming, just as the planet seems to be getting colder and sea ice um, in Antarctica is getting, or in our Arctic, in the Arctic is getting thicker each year. So it really is hilarious in that sense. If you, if you want to be entertained, I think you should follow what happens at Davos. Uh, There was this tremendous story that broke just when Davos was beginning or or just after it started saying that there was a a large number of, of prostitutes, which are now called uh, sex workers, I think, or sex professionals in Davos for the global elite, which are then, you know, demanding that we, we sense we're censored for mis and disinformation whilst shipping in lots and lots of prostitutes for their, for their um, um, jaunt in the, in the Swiss Alps. It it really is hilarious. Um, 
I don't, I don't know if the viewers are aware, there's a, a, a site called Rebel News, uh, which are a kind of independent news agency, and, and they've done some tremendous reporting from Davos. I can set, share a link with that. So um, there is one guy called uh, Arvi Yemeni, who is an uh, Australian, who reported a lot under the lockdown in Australia and very fearlessly. And then there's someone known as Ezra Levant, um, who was also there and and they actually got you know they confronted John Kerry who was trying to dodge their questions about his enormous carbon hypocrisy you know flying around in his private jet but telling everyone they shouldn't fly anymore they also and all down. of all of their massive private homes and the carbon footprint of those <laughs> I mean they've got yeah. multiple homes around the world yeah they they also I think RV Yemeni also pinned down Tedros uh, Garibrius, the World Health Organization Director General, and was asking about COVID and and lockdowns and who released the virus. That was a tremendous interview as well. I mean, none of them really answer. Uh, John Kerry got very annoyed uh, with Ezra Levant, which was good to see. But you know, there are people there putting them up against the wall and asking them difficult questions, which is, is great because they they actually, I think they had a safe haven there for a number of years, but they don't anymore and they need the Swiss army to protect them. But um, the, the press are getting in and asking them real questions, which is good. How does the Swiss military and air force justify and the Swiss government who is supposed to be neutral, how do they justify protecting these private citizens on private business. I have no idea, Dr. Lee. I mean, I saw, you know, reports they had the Swiss military helicopters stationed, you know, just to prevent any a terrorist attack. Okay, you could say with all these people gathered there, it is a, a target for a terrorist attack. But, you know, realistically, I, I, I've seen they are very heavy-handed as well, the military with certain reporters. So, um. I, I don't know how they justify it. I mean, and this is a, if, you know, people should know this, the World Economic Forum is essentially a club. You you pay a subscription to be a member of it. Like Andrea said, these people aren't elected to go there and make decisions. They It's it's like a, it's like a golf club in a sense, up in the top of the Swiss Alps. Um, but, the, you know, they're powerful enough and connected enough to be able to get the Swiss military to come and do their um, bouncing for them or their doorman jobs. It's quite remarkable. Well, it's pretty close, Jonathan, uh, I guess, to a, a prior definition of fascism, when you get government and big business working ever more closely together, you know, the power of the private wealth that, that washes around uh, central bank and large corporations. And I think politicians, um, when they're in a minority of, sort of genuine people uh, <coughs> on public service and instead how much what can they make for themselves it's a it's an unpleasant apposition that, get, that gets ever stronger um and that i think is what we've seen over the last few years they can make anything happen because they they are connected to the lawmakers well and you're seeing that in the uk as well why don't we talk about that when we come back from the break and look at the enmeshment of government and private entities that are working together for profit at the expense of the people. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org, 
and all of the resources to help you prepare for what the Davos cartel projects is coming to harm all of us. And look at the many ways to help you stay healthy and improve your health and resilience in our truthforhealthstore.com. We will be right back after the break. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report, international report. This is Dr. Lee for America with Dr. Mike Eden, Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe, and Andrea Klarich. We represent the U.S., U.K., Sweden, and Croatia on our international report and many different fields of expertise, medicine, science, business, and journalism. So stay with us. We are going to talk further about the topic we were beginning in the first half on the tightening screws of censorship and also the way that government and private entities, not elected officials, are working to control all of us for their profit and harmful to the people of the world. I know there is a great deal of that going on in the UK in particular, as well as what um, Andrea has seen in Croatia and across Eastern Europe. Dr. Eden, tell us a little bit about some of the ways that the British government has been so enmeshed and involved with not only the pharmaceutical companies, but also the regulatory agencies that were supposed to be independent. Check out the new Truth For Health store at truthforhealthstore.com. We have exclusive professional formulas with exciting new products, including true mitochondrial boost that can help improve your energy, memory, focus, and concentration. All of our products are manufactured in certified compliant facility using good manufacturing practices approved and inspected by the FDA. Check us out, www.truthforhealthstore.com. Yeah, it's a, it's certainly um, a tangled web, and one of our colleagues, research colleagues, especially um, Hedley Reese, uh, who's uh, had a, a lifetime in pharmaceutical production, knows many of the players and has has interacted with some of them. Essentially, the British government, at least ten years ago, decided it wants to be a world leader in, as it were, these next generation gene based products. Uh, and Hedley's experience you know, helped him uh, as a consultant to some biotech companies to uh, pitch for government money that was very much a bit washing around. Uh, and, and that company was successful and 
has played played some kind of role, I think, in the uh, manufacture of these dangerous products. Not that Headley knew that, of course, at the time, but certainly as a pharmaceutical research veteran myself, uh, I will tell your listeners that no, none of these gene-based products, anything with mRNA in it, please don't allow yourself to be injected with it or anybody you know or any farm animals because they are they are automatically toxic. So Britain uh, is uh, sincere about wanting to be a leader in that. Well, that's a pretty bad thing to want. But, you know, there are government ministers, lots of money and people from the industry that have all been floating around the triangle of Oxford, Cambridge and London for at least a decade, and they're they're not bound on uh, uh, you know making products that are helpful to people. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I I I can hop in there. I mean, I I the first time I ever heard of public private private partnerships was back in about two thousand, I think, and I was working at uh, Guy's Hospital uh, in the centre of London. And that site, or King's College that owned the site or merged with Guy's Hospital, put in a new research building, which was like a flagship research building that we were going to be in. And it was extremely expensive. And this money came from one of these PPPs. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. You know, you get someone to invest and and build a building and then they run the building. And then I found out that they had a contract on that for like 30 odd years that we would be paying them rent for. And then I, I realized no, this actually wasn't a very good deal for the university, was it? It was a very good deal for whoever signed off the deal to build the building and the company that built it and then ran it. But it wasn't a good deal for the university or the research funding or the money coming from from taxpayers' money to pay for the research. And I think what happened over the early 2000s then with extremely cheap credit, especially after the 2008 crisis when in Europe they dropped the interest rates to zero or even negative which is one of the reasons we're in this mess at the moment now where pension funds don't work anymore because they they couldn't get any uh you know interest from their investments they had to go for more risky investments and they they've lost money so you know the money many people think is there for their pensions in the future doesn't exist um so in this whole period of the 2010, 2020, you know, people, we've been addicted to cheap credit. And this has enabled, while we're more kind of distracted with buying houses and cars and, and spending, getting cheap loans, um, these people have been busy um, essentially constructing the prison for our future by doing these deals together and um, making tremendous sums, but, but, you know, not doing the job that we were paying them for, at least for the government. Um, they, they've extracted themselves from what they were meant to do as politicians, which was to work for the people that elected them. And they've started to work for new paymasters, which are, you know, people like or people connected with Klaus Schwab and the Davos elite and big business, uh, big tech, big government. And um, we've been invaded. We have brain cancer, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and just, just to go even earlier, the... Uh... The Labour government, led by Tony Blair in, in the, I think it was the late mid to late 90s, um, and his um, very austere Chancellor, Gordon Brown, they had a reputation for financial probity. But what they managed to do is spend almost unlimited amounts of money off budget because they accounted for public-private partnerships in a way that meant that 
there was essentially nothing up front and large numbers of hospitals uh, were being built. But you know, others said, look, in 15, 20, 25 years, not only will we need to pay the capital back, but we'll be, the taxpayer is going to be on the hook for an enormous amount of uh, pent-up interest. And that, that, I guess, is what happens. And now a very substantial part of public spending is uh, debt servicing on these things that we've already had and have been already the assets are degraded, but now we've got these huge debts. It's, you know, it is criminal, really. And, I and guess that, a lot that, of that is the, when you say PPP, um, Dr. Gilthorpe, you were referring to the public-private partnership just to refresh everybody's memory about yeah. what that stands for. And that means public-private partnership really means the public pays for it and the private entity benefits. Yeah, and they, and they do deals with the government, which are importantly then outside of the normal remit for transparency that you know if if you ask for um freedom of information between government departments in most countries they have to provide that but if it's something that they've done outside of the government with a private entity then they don't and often those things are held under secrecy agreements as andrea talked about with the you know the um the contracts for providing COVID-19 vaccines with Pfizer, Moderna, etc. They, you know, they, they have been leaked, but they are, um, they were kept private under one of these PPP-like agreements. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget a lot of the money that's gone into the pharma industry in the last 20 years, I guess, also came from this inflation of cheap credit and the ability to borrow vast sums for very small amounts of interest. And that's led, I think, to this, as, as Headley often talks about, you know, this, this total failure now of the farmer industry to function as an industry. Um, and this is something that we see now in Europe with these um, farmer protests in Germany. I, I spoke to a friend of mine who's German, actually, and he comes from a rural area. And I asked him about that. I said, you know, isn't it really terrible? And he said, well, you know, many of these German farmers, they own colossal farms. They've got huge amount of machinery. Um, but they don't actually work as farmers. Yes, they run the farm, but they exist on subsidies from the EU. And then they take the money that they can borrow from those subsidies and put it into their other business that they run, which could be, you know, an accountancy or something else. They invest that money. So they've been milking the European system in a way to pay off um, and do other things. This is not all farmers, but some of them at least. And, um, I think that just illustrates how ridiculous the situation has got in Europe where our food supply is no longer secure. We're dependent on imports and subsidies for farmers, massive use of fertilizers, destroying the topsoil. Um, and that when this now comes to a head, if those farmers decide to stop making food, <laughs> producing food, the whole of Europe will go into you know, starvation mode, basically. And, and this is spreading like wildfire. The governments are trying to control the farmers, but they've they've created this system with artificial EU subsidies where where we weren't producing food economically anymore. Yeah, quite scary. I mean, that might be deliberate, of course, Jonathan, because I'm afraid you know the listeners won't won't want to hear this, but they need to. That tyrants have historically used. Uh, you know, fuel and food and money as weapons, and they'll use those three again. Yeah, I think you're right, right now. 
And I, I think, you know, the EU, knowing now what I know about the EU, I suspect they, they got everyone hooked on their subsidies because um, this is a model for them to, to gain control. Um, I knew about this model for the supermarkets in the UK that, you know, a big supermarket chain would take on a farmer, say, I'll buy all your produce, sell it to us, um, which they would do for a certain price. And then the next year they'd cut the price that they'd offer and they'd cut it and they'd cut it. But the farmer had shifted over all their production for that particular buyer. Um, and what's happening now in Europe, and I guess this is in other countries as well, the the people that buy up the grain from the farmers or the, you know, eggs or whatever, they have they operate on an excess. So they make the farmers overproduce so that they can control the price. Because if the farmers were able to control the price, they wouldn't be able to make the same profits that they do uh, from operating demanding the farmers produce in excess and um, so you know it's corruption has gone so high up in the pyramid that we're not producing things economically anymore and for me that you know that will lead to a crash well i think we're already seeing that and not only that the the whole the model that you just described of creating dependency on government whether it's the eu or the United States government, or Chinese communist government. The strategy is always the same. Dependency is the first step towards government totalitarian control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Always. And that, that is this, by design, making the farmers dependent, making the fuel producers dependent, making schools in the, let's say, for example, in the U.S. I mean, public schools are dependent on government payouts. Even churches were getting government payouts for following the COVID policies and the vaccination mandates and were allowed to keep their doors open. So it's it's a corrupt and controlling process throughout there is nothing that is done that isn't by design towards the long-term goal of control of human beings and i'm sure andrea sees that from having lived in the communist country as a young as a young person during his childhood Yes, absolutely. We saw that and we didn't forget. And that helped us a lot during the pandemic because we recognized very soon what was happening and where all these policies are heading. And uh, we, we had a time, more time than others, to prepare ourselves and to reject the policies. Now we'll be more, of course, careful in the future. And they saw that that we recognize these patterns from uh, from uh, these uh, communist uh, uh, times that was uh, 30 years ago. But for sure, as, as I also saw, uh, the same thing is happening uh, all around the world, unfortunately now. And unfortunately, and this is uh, what was your advantages in countries like Great Britain or, or United States, you never had this kind of society and that's why you, maybe you were uh, too naive 
to believe that they are planning to do this. And I would be um, in your place the same. I would never believe that they are planning because that doesn't have any sense. And we know that from the history that the, the, this totalitarian uh, societies doesn't have future. But it seems that we have to remind ourselves again, maybe we didn't learn uh, enough from from our history. Well, Britain and the United States didn't have that experience for the people to understand the enormous and devastating and evil control of communism. And I think people have, in our countries have been perhaps far more, they've, they've gone along with, with the controls more so than I would have expected. And I think it's partly because they didn't have that experience. The Croatian people had come out of tyranny and were not eager to go back into it, is how I see it looking from the outside. Yeah, you're probably right. But we'll see now, uh, we, uh, people, uh, the world is now more connected than before. And as you see here, we have a meeting and we have this, uh, that would never happen 20 years ago. And that's why we can exchange information and our uh, experiences. And maybe we can help more each other to prevent that anybody in the Western world I would like to have in the whole world, but okay, for now in the Western world to implement uh, ever again uh, kind of society what uh, were in the communist part uh, times and what for sure they are planning to implement again, this contro uh, government controlling society. Any other comments, Dr. Gilthorpe, Dr. Yeadon? Well, I think it's very important for people to realize that this is going to be a chaotic year, Dr. Lee. There's elections going off in many countries, the US, in Russia, in Germany. Um, and, you know, Croatia. these are going to lead in Croatia. These are going to European, lead to yeah. upsets for for a lot of uh, ruling parties as, as new independent and smaller parties get seats. Um, so it is going to get sticky i would say and there, there is going to be an increase in inflation and, and costs are going to go up so i think very important for people to find their local communities start growing any food if you can even if it's just on the windowsill with some tomatoes or something learn how to do that because you know it's going to be important going forward that we're more and more self-sufficient and less dependent on government so the more ways you can do that the, the better yeah I, I echo that. I also warn people not to find the phrase or uh, uh, public health, don't, don't give it the time of day. And the reason I say that, I was thinking about this the other day, I, I would say public health has been weaponized over the last 10 years or so. Of course, the health of individuals really matters, your health, your you make choices. And I would say public health is a statistical uh, uh, aggregate of all of the health-related decisions that we all make as individuals. It's not a real thing. So when you get somebody pontificating about public health, and we've got to do this and that for public health, it's the wrong way around. You can't, it's like pushing on a piece of string. 
can't make the public health healthier by having some policy at the centre. But they make it seem as if it's a thing, a monolithic thing, and it's an excuse to tyrannise the public. Public health is a consequence of all the private health decisions made by individuals, whether informed or not. It's not a thing that Bill Gates or, or some politician can wave in your face and say you have to do it because it's for your safety. That phrase was much beloved of the Nazis and it will be used again. It's not true. Your health is your decision. It's not in the gift of the government. Beautifully, powerfully said. I couldn't agree more. And let me let me also just add another little note to proper word choices. Health care mm -hmm. is in the hand of the individual. Medical care is in the hands of medical professionals and the individual. So when you start talking about my health care plan and health care payments and health care system, that's all hogwash for government and private control of the money. They are not the ones deciding what you need for your medical care, or they are the ones deciding it and rationing it because the goal is to make profit. So start looking at ways along the lines of being self-sufficient and resilient, growing food, start looking at being more resilient about the ways that you make choices for your individual health and resilience to improve your health. That's not something you go to a, a doctor's don't improve your health. You do by the choices you make of what you eat, what you drink, how much you exercise, what supplements you take, whether you overdo medications and side effects, or whether you try to minimize prescription medicines and make healthy choices. Those are all things that are in your control. And we have many programs at truthforhealth.org on our website in our resources on health and resilience, hormones and health, 5G and your health, faith over fear. We have fact sheets that guide you in what you need to know to improve your health with actions you take. So the bottom line is there is hope and help for all of us, and we need to get off our couches and make decisions to act in our individual best interest, growing food, taking steps to improve our individual health, and don't give in to the fear. Any other closing comments from our team before we wrap up today? Maybe one comment concerning the future. Uh, well, I, I was asked from other people what to do, how to act, because I have to say that we just uh, heard from a minister of uh, uh, defense in the United Kingdom that we are in front of some war. And they tell us exactly that this war will come. I don't see that war should come because uh, the war is uh, the, 
war is something that we should avoid on any cost. But how to do it? We should really, in the future, say no to everything what we don't want to agree with. In case of war, the same thing. Uh, this world is enough uh, is uh, big enough to, for everybody, and we can sit on the table and discuss and make decisions for our benefits. But these crazy people who are now leading the world, they want to bring us in this kind of di disaster and destruction. And that's why we just have to say no to everything. We know, we have our common sense. We know what is good for people. We don't have to listen to our politicians with their stupid games and stupid policies. And this, uh, as we mentioned today, uh, cabal centers like Davos, uh, because they're not elected from us. They cannot decide in our name. We have to say no to them, and then we are safe. And if we uh, wake up more people, more lions in the world, then will be uh, enough resistance to push them back and to really organize our life as we want, not as they want. Beautifully said, Andrea. I quite agree with you. This idea that these non-elected business people, ultra-wealthy people who live according to their rules and try to force controls on the rest of us is absolutely abhorrent. It violates all of our constitutional laws in countries around the world, violates our sovereignty. And people of the world, we the people, there are more of us than there are of them. We need to say no, no more, just as the farmers are doing across Europe. Dr. Gilthorpe, any other closing thoughts? I can't really top that, Dr. Lee. Just say no, because we know intuitively what is right and what is wrong. And it's time for us now to stand up for, for what's right and say a firm no to what we know to be wrong. And that happens with whatever level. It happens on a personal level, you know, taking responsibility for your health, as you mentioned. It happens on a family level, a community level. Uh, you don't need to be rude about it, but you just say, no, thank you. And uh, do, you know, don't support these initiatives uh, and give them your energy. I quite agree. So on that note, let's make 2024, while it may be a chaotic year, it may be a roller coaster year, let's make that our commitment to say no to tyranny in 2024 and shut down the effort to control everything about our lives. We are unique, individual, free human beings designed by our creator. It's our duty to protect those gifts. We'll be back with you again next week. Thank you for joining us on the International Report from the Whistleblower Report team. Check out www.truthforhealth if you missed any of the previous programs. And check out the... Faith Over Fear and Whistleblower Report Archives at truthforhealth.org. And if you have the resources, please donate to support our public charity work as we continue our efforts to bring you truth, hope, and help amidst the lies and deception and attempts to
control your lives. We'll be back next week. <laughs>